Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Miss Gwen. I always know Miss Gwen's got my back, so we're, we're good. Let me first acknowledge all of the women who are here today and the difficult task that you have as wives. Even though your husbands are perfect, the difficult task you have as mothers, even though your children are perfect, as grandmothers, as great-grandmothers, as aunts, primary caregivers for parents, homeroom mothers, baseball moms, soccer moms, softball moms, band moms, football moms, show choir moms, etc. moms, etc. moms, etc. moms. Women who work in our community, women who have careers, women who are so faithful to work in our church here at Carterville, and the hundreds of other responsibilities that you have every day for your families and the other children that you come in contact with. Thank you for using the talents and the abilities that God has given you in order to be able to juggle all the things that you have to do and to do them so so very well in the hustle and bustle of life all too often I know that you do not get the recognition that you deserve so let me personally say how much I appreciate how much your church appreciates Christian women and mothers that are impacting the lives of everyone that you come in contact with in Hebrews chapter 11 we find a passage that is called the roll call of faith it lists some biblical characters that because of their faith in God and their willingness to serve Him and to follow His instructions, their obedience to His instructions and to His call in their lives are examples of what can happen when we do the same. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, tell us this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice, sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. The legacy that Abel left behind did not end with his death, but it still speaks to you and I thousands of years later because he did it God's way. Well, let's look back at some women in faith in Scripture and how they followed God's will for their lives. The first that we want to look at this morning is a woman by the name of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. When God called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go to a land I will show you, Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and he left following God's instructions. They left their home. They left her parents. They left their friends. They left their lifestyle. They left everything that they knew, and they followed God. Jesus would later say that if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and come and follow me. Sarah did that very thing and was obedient to God's call in her life. 
And because of their faithfulness, God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. Yet years went by, and more years went by, 25 to be exact. But eventually God fulfilled his promise, and Sarah became pregnant, and she bore a son. The son who would become the son of promise. The son that we know whose name was Isaac. At her tender age of 90 years old. How often do you think Sarah questioned God over those 25 years? Leaving everything that she knew of home and family to go to some unknown place. Having a child at the age of 90. But God is always faithful. He always fulfills the promises that he makes. Are you and I calling on the promises of God in our lives like Sarah did? Well, when Isaac grew up and became marrying age, Abraham did not want him marrying one of the Canaanite women that they lived around. So he sent his chief servant back to their homeland to find a wife for his son. As the servant entered the land, he was weary And he stopped at a well for a drink and to water his animals. A young woman there by the name of Rebekah came to draw water and offered to provide water for the servant and all of his animals, which was the sign that this servant had asked God for. The servant followed her back to her home and began to tell the story that he was sent by Abraham to procure a wife for Abraham's son. There were questions that were asked by Rebekah's family, and they were answered by that servant. And it came down to whether this young woman, Rebecca, would choose to follow God's call in her life and return with the servant back to Abraham to become Abraham's wife. When asked if she was willing to go, when asked if she was willing to follow God's call, she replied, I will go. And God's covenant to make Abraham a great nation was carried on through the life of Isaac and through this wife, Rebekah. When you and I are called by God to be a witness, to work for him doing the things that he wants us to do, are we responding, I will go? Rebekah bore two sons to her husband Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And Jacob became the man through which God would continue that covenant promise that he had made with his grandfather, Abraham. Jacob, through a series of broken promises to him and some interesting choices on his part, ended up with several wives. But his soulmate, if you will, the woman that he first fell in love with, was a woman by the name of Rachel. Jacob ended up with 12 sons, but Rachel had a son whose name was Joseph. And if you remember the story, Jacob, or Joseph became Jacob's favorite because he was the favorite of his favorite wife. And that got Joseph into all kind of trouble. Joseph was given a special coat. We call it a coat of many colors, showing that he had daddy's authority as he bore and wore that coat. He shared some dreams that he had with his brothers over the years that alienated him even more uh, from those brothers. He ended up being sold into slavery. He found himself in Egypt, and because of God's blessings in his life, he rose to the rank of second in command of all of Egypt. Through his position, he was able to rescue his family from famine and starvation. He brought them down to Egypt, resettled them there in the land of Goshen, 
and God blessed them and they grew into a multitude of people and eventually a mighty nation. But Joseph, as we all will, died. And after several hundred years, a new ruler came to power in Egypt who was fearful that if Egypt was ever attacked by a foreign power, that the children of Israel, Joseph's descendants, the children of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob would revolt and would join the foreign power and would help to overthrow Egypt. So this Pharaoh had them put into slavery. And he also demanded that all the male babies that were born be killed to help control the number of men available to fight against them. But there was another mother, another woman by the name of Jochebed, who when her son was born, she protected him and she hid him and she made a way for him to be rescued. We know that Jochebed's son was named Moses. His mother devised a plan of building a little, a little papyrus boat and putting it in the Nile River so that when Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe where she normally did, maybe she would see this infant child and have compassion upon him, which is exactly what happened. And because Moses' sister was watching out, when Pharaoh's daughter found the baby, the sister ran and asked Pharaoh's daughter if she would like to have a Hebrew mother to care for this child. And Pharaoh's daughter agreed to that, and Jochebed... Moses' own mother became his custodian until he was old enough to be delivered into the Egyptian palace. It was during these years that I believe that his mother helped him to understand his heritage, to understand that he was to love the Lord Jehovah God and him alone. When the choice came in his life to show allegiance to either the Egyptians or the Hebrews, he chose to be a Hebrew, all because his mother cared enough about him to teach him about God. What about you and I? Do you and I care enough about our relationship with God to share it regularly with our kids and the other children that we have influence over in our lives? Moses, some years later, had a personal encounter with God at a burning bush. And I believe knew who God was because of the teachings of a godly woman, a Christian mother. He accepted God's call and led the children of Israel out of Egypt and back to the promised land that God had given them. Just imagine what might have happened if Moses' mother, Jochebed, had followed the cultural directives of the day rather than trying to do things God's way. But the children of Israel had been settled in the promised land for some years. And in 1 Samuel, we find the story of another woman of faith. Hannah was married to a man who loved her very much, but he also had another wife. That wife was able to bear children, but Hannah was not. And because the bearing of children was looked upon in the Jewish community as a blessing from God, the other woman ridiculed Hannah because she had no children. Hannah went continually to the house of the Lord to pray, continually asking God for a child. But one day, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, and give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be on his head. The Lord blessed Hannah. She became pregnant, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. 
she did just what she had promised. And when the boy was old enough, she took him to the house of the Lord and presented him to Eli, the priest. Samuel eventually lived a life dedicated to the Lord. And Israel's uh, anointed Israel's first and second kings, Saul and David. Hannah was a mother who understood that her greatest responsibility was to bring her son to God, teaching him the importance of total surrender to God's will for his life. The last biblical character I want for us to see today, while certainly not the last godly mother in Scripture, is a woman that we don't even know her name. She is just called the widow of Zarephath. Elijah was a prophet of God, and because he was following God's commands for his life, he found himself in danger from the king, and God instructed him where to go in order that he could find safety. God told him to go to a little village of Zarephath, where he encountered a widow who had just enough oil and flour to make one small loaf of bread for herself and her son, and because there was a famine, a famine in the land, and there was no means of her uh, having any financial support, she was going to do that, have no food left, and eventually die of starvation. But Elijah told her to make a loaf of bread for him as well at God's instructions. And if she would be faithful and do that, that God would provide for her and for her son. She did as directed. And God did as he promised. Her flour jar and her oil jug were never empty. Every day when she went to prepare for her family, there was all she needed for her nourishment. Put yourself in her place. What if you were down to your last meal and God told you to give it away and he would provide for you? What would you do? Well, for most of us, that is not the problem. The problem is not that we have too little. The question is, is are we being good stewards of all that God has blessed us with? Are we generous with our possessions for the good of others? Are we doing things God's way? Are we just following our own desires and wishes? We've seen the examples of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, of Moses' mother, Jacobit of Samuel's mother Hannah who gave him to the Lord and the widow of Zarephath who was obedient down to her last ounce of flour and oil. These women who because of their faith and obedience were able to see the hand of God at work in their lives and the kingdom of God continued to grow and to flourish. But what about some modern day examples? In 1926, a group of men and women in this community came to the decision that a Baptist church was needed in which to worship and meet the spiritual needs of the people who lived here. One of the charter members of the church was a lady by the name of Nellie Harper. As the church grew, there came need to purchase land and to build a permanent dwelling in which to house the church. Land was bought. Lumber was cut down and milled. And men and women willingly volunteered their time and talents to construct the building that some of us remember, the little white building that sat right over where the chapel is today. But of course, these things don't just happen without money. And so the church had to go to the bank and take out a loan in order to fund the project. Well, remember, it's the late 20s and the early 30s. And it was a time of great depression in our country. And money became tight for this little band of spiritual warriors. 
at a business meeting one evening when the note at the bank was due and funds to pay it were not available. Miss Nellie Harper came up with a plan. She asked each of the ladies who were there to bring a chicken the next morning and they would walk to Hattiesburg and try to sell them in order to raise money, funds. They met at 9 a.m., some with one chicken and some with two. And they walked to Hattiesburg across the river bridge where they met with a Jewish businessman who they talked into buying the chickens at twice the rate of the going price for hens. They brought the money back to the church and they laid it on God's altar and found that it was enough not only to pay the month's note, but to pay the note off. This kind of ingenuity from Miss Nellie helped to save the church. Sacrifices were made by a multitude of ladies and men and God's kingdom grew. Miss Nellie, because of her love for her God and her church, made a huge impact on some of her nieces. Noel A. and Janie Harper, who many of us know as Noel A. King and Janie Lee, grew up in this church and became great contributors, contributors of their time and their talents, serving their Christian brothers and sisters through teaching and cooking, opening their homes for youth gatherings, etc. When children's camp was begun many years ago, Noel A. and Janie along with Donna Hogan and Louise Bullock, became the cooks, and they did that for many, many years. Today, Miss Nolay's daughter, Merle, still ministers through teaching Sunday school, and Janie's daughter, Renee, is an active member of our church, all because of the legacy of Miss Nellie Harper. Another mother who was a long-term member of Carterville Baptist Church, in fact, she was married in a double wedding here in 1933 was a woman by the name of Miss Effie Lynch. Miss Lynch served in a multitude of capacities in the church, and as she managed her family well, her husband became the first caretaker of church property. She raised her family here, and through her efforts, her children grew to love the Lord and the church. Her son's sunshine served as a Sunday school teacher, sings in the choir, has been an RA leader and a Boy Scout leader. Her daughter Janet's husband Ernie was instrumental in the early growth of our Meals on Wheels program and he and Janet delivered meals to many in our community all because of the legacy of Miss Effie Lynch. Let me mention one more. Very early in the life of the church Miss Rebecca Hatton joined and became an active member. In fact, the minutes indicated that on 919 of 1962 Miss Hatton who many of us know as Mima Seconded a motion that there be no more hair cutting on the church property. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. But I do remember Meemaw Hatton taught four-year-olds and then bed babies in the nursery for many years. And when she was old enough to do so, her daughter, Miss Frances Timms, joined her there in service. Miss Frances continually worked in our nursery until just a short time ago when she passed away. She raised her children here at Carterville, and they continue to be active in churches where they live, with her daughter, Marcia, continuing to serve as a Sunday school teacher here in our children's ministry. Generation after generation after generation, who just like their biblical uh, foremothers, continue to lead and guide their children and their grandchildren. As I look around the room today, I see a multitude of other mothers who have done exactly the same thing. Miss Alice Cassio, who continues to teach Sunday school, 
Her daughter Linda, who does the same, and her daughters, Samantha and Meredith, who've also been Sunday school leaders and teachers here in our church. Miss Betty Causey, whose son Pat continues to teach Sunday school. His son Chris and wife Jenna also serving in Sunday school. Daughter Robin, who teaches Sunday school. Miss Linda, who's taught Sunday school in the past, and her son Zachary, who has taught and led in our Sunday school and served as a deacon. Their daughter Nikki, who, whose son, if you go out on the back by the parking lot, uh, in the back behind the fellowship hall, uh, there's some nice picnic tables who one of Nikki's sons built as a Boy Scout project. Miss Bernice Holsey, whose son Jimmy, you find very often at the church volunteering his time, whose daughter Kathy does the same. And Kathy's daughter, Lindsay, is our pastor's wife. My mom, Donna Hogan, who continues to teach Sunday school. Her daughter, Chandra, who also does the same. Her two sons, who both are standing in pulpits this morning, proclaiming God's word. My wife, Debbie, and our children, who both are serving God, generation after generation after generation. So many others, the Napiers and the Barretts, that are, have created a part of what this church is today. So what does that mean for you and I? As we think about all these that have gone before us, in our scripture passage this morning from Luke, Jesus said, don't be, don't be caught up in what's behind, but look ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Where do we go from here? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews has given us an almost perfect summary of the Christian life. He shares that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and we've already seen many of them this morning. We've seen from the Bible and from our past and present history of Carterville Baptist Church, faithful women that have lived lives, that have exemplified Christ and whose greatest purpose was the fulfilling of his work in all of the arenas of their lives. They ran the race of their Christian faith, not as a sprint, but as a marathon. This passage indicates that the Christian life is marked out for us. Jesus has landmarks around, along the way that we are to follow. William Barclay states, we are not to be a tourist who returns each night to the place where he started, but we are to be pilgrims who are ever on the way because the Christian life is marked out for us. We should examine ourselves every day and ask, am I farther along? Have I traveled the road Jesus laid out for me today faithfully and obediently? Am I closer to Jesus today than I was yesterday? The passage goes on and tells us that we should strip off everything that hinders us from running the Christian life 
and the sin that so easily besets us or entangles us. Companies have made millions of dollars developing clothes and shoes that are lighter and wind resistant for athletes because very often a fraction of a second means the difference between winning and losing. They want to take every acceptable advantage that they can to win the race. But all too often for the Christian, the responsibilities of life become all-encompassing and all those things that we mentioned earlier like family and friends, children's activities, work and careers, getting more and bigger stuff tends to weigh us down and swallow up our time to the extent that they end up becoming the goal of our lives rather than Jesus. Now there's nothing wrong with all those things of themselves unless they cause us to lose sight of our ultimate goal. If we're to travel far, this scripture says that we must travel light. Sometimes we have to discard some things. They may be habits or they may be pleasures. They may be self-indulgences or they may be associations with other people. Whatever holds us back to keep us from being all that Jesus wants to be, we have to let go. The race that we are running with perseverance is the race that God marked out for us to become imitators of Christ and messengers of his good news in the world in which we live. And we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus who came to this earth knowing, knowing that the finish line of his race would be the cross and all of the shame that went with it. But did you notice what the cross gave Jesus? It gave Jesus joy. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The fact that he was able to perfectly complete his race, his purpose for coming to the earth, the cross gave him great joy, even though it caused him great pain. Even though he was deserted by those who should have loved him the most and stood by him through it all. Even though he could have chosen another race to run. He was true to his calling. And he finished his race. And it gave him joy. Because he knew that his death on the cross made a way for you and for me to have a renewed and restored relationship with the God who created us. We understand that we have a great cloud of witnesses and human examples that have gone on before us to encourage us and challenge us. But when the going gets tough, we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus and remember all that he endured for our benefit. It is only in Jesus and in his power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit that we will not grow weary and lose heart what about you what about I are we like Hannah who is willing to give our children to God are we like Jochebed who is willing to save our children from the cultural things that are happening around about us in our world are we like the widow of Zarephath 
who's willing to give down to our last ounce of our possessions in order that others can come to know Jesus? Are we like the mothers that have gone before us, the mothers who live in our presence today as examples? Are we turning our eyes upon Jesus? Christ came and he died upon that cross in order to save us from our sins and it gave him great joy is the life that we're living giving us joy in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunities that we find in Jesus. We thank you for the opportunities that we have because of Christian women and mothers who have gone before us and have given us a great example for us to follow. We thank you, dear Father God, for the way that you and you alone are our strength and our hope. And we thank you for the joy that we can have in Jesus. We thank you for the example of these mothers and these women who have followed you. And now, Father, I pray, as we come to a time of decision in our own hearts and lives, that we will choose to make you our ultimate goal of life. Thank you for what you're going to do in and through us. In your sweet name I pray.